Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello my friends and welcome to Idle Chatter. Ray Bohax here, your humble host. I always say that because I am humble. You can't not be humble uh, living on a farm in New Jersey on Catswamp Road. So welcome to today's show and I hope that everything is going well for you and uh, God willing some of the flooding and the severe weather specifically in Nebraska and uh, Iowa and South Dakota Hopefully, God willing, it's abating. To tell you the truth, I try not to look at it too much. I keep those people and those animals in my prayers every day. And uh, it's just so devastating to see that, as I said you know, in the previous show. And I know that it's going to take a while for them to get back up and running. But by God's grace, they will uh, be back up and be stronger than ever before. So hopefully we're going to have an interesting show for you today. And... Um, I say we because this podcast, Idle Chatter, is your show, so we're actually doing this together. I talk and you listen, right? It sounds almost like being married. My wife talks and I listen. It's a good thing she doesn't listen to every segment of the show, otherwise I'd be in trouble. I'd be sleeping in a doghouse tonight or uh, until at least until at least the next week's show come on. But uh, I hope that you're having a great day and you're in, and you're uh, getting ready to uh, to listen to some things about uh, diesel particulate filters and also uh, the regen cycle. You know, coming from the auto industry, I bring a lot of that um, mindset. I would say I don't want to say knowledge; that doesn't sound humble. But mindset to this show because there are so many parallels. And within the auto industry, they have a lot of quality audits. You don't hear so much about J.D. Powers anymore, or maybe you do and I just don't listen. But, um, you know, J.D. Powers was an associate, was a organization, not an association that used to uh, send out surveys to people in all different industries, but they really probably made their name in the car industry, and they went on to others, into airlines, hotels, and what have you. Um, maybe something in the electronics end of it, but what they would do is they would uh, ask people questions about the vehicle that they bought. Uh, they used to have, I think, a 30-day survey, a 90-day survey, a six-month survey. They had a whole bunch of different surveys. Uh, they had what they called initial quality, six-month quality, five-year quality. I may be using the terms wrong, but they did a whole bunch of surveys. And the auto industry was very big on surveys. And when I was in college, even though I was studying electrical engineering, I did have to take a statistics course, and the uh, professor always told us that you can make a survey look like anything that you want it to be. 
so you really have to delve into the numbers of the survey and see the sample group and the questions that were asked and that's really happens a lot because if you're taking a survey and it's you these are usually multiple choice if not always multiple choice and you're forced to choose something it may not really be representative of your feelings but you have to make a choice right it's like coming to a fork in a road you got to go left you got to go right you can't go straight because there's a cliff there so the auto industry is very big on these surveys and um, and different car companies play them to their advantage and i don't blame them for that because what they're saying is not untruthful but it's a snapshot segment so to get back on course here what would happen is that they would have the the industry meaning the auto industry is very big on initial quality and then i think uh about 90 days out and then 180 days out so the honeymoon period starts is already over right when you first get the car with a new piece of equipment uh, the honeymoon period is probably the first 30 days and then after that uh, the honeymoon uh, doesn't uh, seem so sweet anymore lots of times uh, when the first payment comes due but what they would do is that they found is that uh, their ratings could be dinged very greatly by something that is so inconsequential and to tell you the truth uh, Ford suffered greatly from this they were up in the first the top few I think the top five maybe two or three on a, a survey top one or two or three traditionally and they came out with their sync system which integrated the phone your cell phone to the car and there was problem I don't believe that there was truly problems with the sync system I think that the phone the phone designs were changing so quickly and the car manufacturer couldn't put that into production and a new phone would come out and somebody would try to sync it and they would have a problem with it and so what would happen is that the vehicle's rating would drop down dramatically in the initial quality survey and Ford suffered greatly from this because the people were complaining about the sync system and there, there was nothing wrong with the car it was probably more the telephone or just an, a lack of uh, being able to communicate but they gave the car but that skewed the ratings very um, to the low side because of a telephone issue and there was not a problem with the engine or transmission anything else squeaks rattles water leaks but they took a big hit on that and the reason why I'm telling you about that is because if you look at modern diesel engines and I'm gonna say diesel engines throughout this show if I don't forget and uh, say something else as I'm talking but modern diesel engines uh, usually get a, a poor rating in if there was some sort of survey like that or if you were to query someone who owns a modern diesel engine and lots of times they would take a hit on the perceived quality or perceived image of that engine application be it in a pickup truck or a piece of farm equipment and that was simply due to the regen uh the regeneration of the diesel particulate filter if you were to look at tier four engines that the majority of complaints or dissatisfaction that the consumer has with with that purchase is with the regeneration cycle the other aspects of the tier 4 system are really are invisible to the client to the owner of the piece of equipment other than adding some diesel exhaust fluid every now and then 
but everything else is quite invisible but it becomes all of those benefits become lost when uh, people start to discuss the regen cycle so that is what today's show is going to be about and a few weeks back if you look on the archives uh, either on my website on the farm and rural ag network or on um, carbon media you will see that i did a show on tier four systems and i think i called it tier uh, do you suffer from tier four itis and you may want to go back and listen to that again but that was a basic overview of tier four while today's show is just going to take the one component which is the um, regeneration cycle of the uh, diesel particulate filter so and that is like i say the source of most dissatisfaction with this modern equipment and that you know that that carries over to everything and what they what the public ends up doing is they paint the whole tier four system with the same brush and give it a black eye and i'm not going to say that it that it deserves the black eye nor am i going to say that it doesn't deserve the black eye but coming from the engineering community is that once a company brings something to market it especially today because of the competitive marketplace is that it's not usually half baked or three quarters baked it's usually nailed right down and if there is an issue it is usually a vendor problem in other words the vendor changed the specification on a part they were making and no one caught that they took it upon themselves so that would be akin to let's say like you have a hired man on the farm and you tell them, okay, go out and spray that field and burn that field down with some glyphosate, and I want two quarts per acre. And when he gets out into the field, he finds out that he doesn't have enough product with him to to spray two quarts per acre. So instead of going back to the shop or to the storage shed and getting some more product, he decides that one quarter an acre will be good, and he changes it to one quarter an acre, one quart per acre and he sprays the field then you come out a week or two later and you say man we're not really getting a good kill here what happened i thought with two quarts per acre and you start to go crazy say man are we having glyphosate tolerance resistance here and uh what's going on here and then you find out that he says well boss i only sprayed one quart per acre because i didn't have any more with me and i know you wanted to get it done because it was going to rain the next day so i made the decision to spray one quart per acre and the result is that you didn't have a good burn down and now you're suffering with these weeds well that happens within the uh engineering community and specifically today and specifically with the agricultural industry it happens to a great extent with the car industry but not as much as the agricultural industry and the reason for that being i'm saying agricultural machinery for the reason for that being is that the car industry still makes more of their own parts and does not sublet them out to suppliers than the ag industry the ag industry basically uh is almost an assembler and they do manufacture a certain percentage of their own parts but historically they have become assemblers and the i mean granted that part is dedicated to that machine that they're giving like john deere is giving a blueprint to someone to make a bracket but that bracket oftentimes or that solenoid or what have you is not made in-house whereas uh and the car industry has been doing that for a number of years outsourcing and just uh designing and assembling and not creating everything whereas uh for instance, uh, as an aside to this, is probably not a car manufacturer in the world that makes their own glass anymore. 
And whereas years ago, uh, as far as the American brands are concerned, they all had their own glass factories. Maybe AMC did not, but Chrysler, Ford, and General Motors definitely made their own glass, and today they do not. And with the ag industry, because it is low-volume production, is that they cannot afford. And it was the same thing years ago, uh, but probably they made a little bit more of their own parts years ago. So what would happen is that they send this this uh, specification or this blueprint out, and they get a bid on it, and uh, the bid comes in, and they p- uh, place an order for, we'll say, uh, uh, a bracket. And they want the bracket cast out of this material, and they want this and that, and that's the specification. And then the company starts to make the bracket, and somebody on the production floor says, Hey, man, we're running out of some of that, uh, that, that green paint, right? But I got a little bit of green here. It's a little bit different shade. I'm just using it as an example. It may be a poor example. And let's paint it with that because we've got to get these parts out. And then that's what happens. And then the consumer gets it. And you say, geez, you know, how can a big company uh, like a John Deere, a Case IH, a New Holland, whatever, uh, a Gleaner, how can they not get this right? Well, it's not that they did not get it right, that uh, they basically had the guy spraying one quarter glyphosate instead of two, and he didn't tell anybody. And that is why... Uh, Today in these factories, they scan everything in, and that's why they're able to identify with great accuracy the way uh, what production uh, sequence had those parts that were questionable. So, so in essence, to get back on track over here, is that when it comes to it, the regen cycle, though there is nothing wrong with the equipment or nothing wrong with the way it was made or way it was designed, becomes a point of contention with the consumer and sours them to the product. And no company wants anybody, any consumer or potential consumer sour to their product. That's not their goal. Their goal, like any business, is to exchange whatever they make or sell uh, for your money. And that may sound crude, but it really isn't. I mean, as a farmer, we uh, we grow crops or we have livestock or milk or eggs or whatever it may be, and we want to exchange that, whatever we produce, for someone's money, and we don't, uh, that's what makes the world go round, right? So uh, it's not bad, but it is a point of contention as far as the regen is concerned. So let's discuss that, and we'll get you all straightened out on that today, and you'll understand that in probably 99% of the time, you, go look in the mirror, you're the one who is responsible for the excessive amount of regens or regeneration problems. So don't get your dander up, but I'm going to tell you how to fix that. And we also have a, uh, a letter today. I've been negligent the past couple of weeks on putting in, because I've been running long, putting in a, a special delivery letter, and we do have one today, and it's, uh, it's. I think the gentleman is from overseas. Oh, yes, uh, he's from the Philippines. Cebu, C-E-B-U, Philippines, and he has uh, a Mitsubishi, an ex-military ex Jeep that's made by Mitsubishi, and he's having a problem with that. So uh, it's got a diesel in it, a 2.7 liter diesel from 1980. And so it should be, uh, we'll see if we can help him out. And even though it's a Mitsubishi specifically back then, a diesel was a diesel and it really didn't make much difference. Just like a gas engine. There was so much commonality between them that uh, there was a lot of overlap in the diagnostic procedures. 
And to tell you the truth, I've probably seen one of those Jeeps on an old World War II movie, but uh, never physically uh, worked on one. But that won't make any difference. We'll hopefully give them, steer them in the right direction. So basically, in essence, let's talk about the diesel particulate filter. And almost every diesel engine today will have a host of emission control devices on it. It'll have, historically, it will have an EGR system, which is exhaust gas recirculation. It will have a diesel oxidation catalyst. It will have a diesel particulate filter, and then it will have a uh, selective catalytic reduction system. Sometimes I make a mistake and I call that supplemental catalytic reduction system because back years ago when these systems were uh, being designed and coming out that it was referred to that but when but collectively to the Society of Automotive Engineers which is also akin to uh, part of with the agricultural engineers is that they decided to change the name and call it selective instead of supplemental. And that's why sometimes you'll hear me call it supplemental because that was its original name many, many years ago. So we have this, and we have these after treatments in the exhaust. And anything that happens, as I said in my Tiophoritis uh, show a few weeks back, anything that happens after it leaves the port of the cylinder head is, is basically a band-aid approach to clean up uh, what did not happen in the combustion chamber. All right, so... Now, if we make an analogy, if we make an analogy to a, uh, a soil test, and I'm going to be doing my soil, pulling my soil samples actually today, it's about 45 degrees and sunny and we haven't had much moisture in the past couple of days. So, you know, when I go out into my field and over the years as I pulled soil tests and got my soil healthier, that the tilt of my soil has improved dramatically and it has improved to such a uh, such a level that it's almost not like the same farm anymore now i could kind of quantify that in the organic matter percentage and a change in the cec the cation exchange capacity but I cannot quantify, nor can anyone quantify, the difference in the tilt of the soil and the, the tilt, the field, the way it, the, the way it responds. It's uh, not getting hard and what have you, which is a culmination of many different things. That truly is is unquantifiable. I can't put a metric on it. I can't say that there's a number to it like you could say with organic matter and with uh, CEC that you could actually put a number to it and go from there or base saturation or what have you. But collectively, if you look at my organic matter went up, my CEC went up a little bit, and as you all know, that that changes very, very slowly. It's very easy to wreck it, but it is... uh, not easy to fix it and we did a good job when my father was alive to wreck it and uh, so but the fixing process is very slow but you what I really saw with this and it it comes into play with the regeneration cycle is that if you were to talk to someone who's a very very uh, knowledgeable agronomist and everything and they look at the numbers they look at the numbers and they say okay fine well you only went up this much a little two tenths of a percent on your organic matter and maybe a tenth on your uh, on your CEC or what have you and I looked at that also but I said to myself hey you know I don't care what those numbers say and I'm not not ignoring them but 
But I just know that this soil is so spongy now that I could go in there when we hand harvest our sweet corn and I could go in there, I could stick, take my pocket knife out and stick it in the soil and I could grab the soil with a shovel and I could feel it. And there were these unquantifiable differences in the soil that the soil test did not show. And the reason why I'm using that as an example is because if you were to talk to a, a person in the engineering community for any one of these diesel engines, whether it's a road vehicle or whether it is a uh, farm piece of farm equipment, that they're basically going to talk in quantifiable things. They're going to talk in in metrics, and then they're going to and then they don't go in most instances. Most instances they don't go into the unquantifiable range that I'm talking about. My hey, my I don't care what my soil test says. My soil is so much better and so much healthier, and the structure of my soil is so different. But I cannot put a number on it, and that's really what we're gonna what I'm gonna use today to give you some. Uh, not hints, but some facts about how you could minimize and uh, reduce the length of regen uh, of the diesel particulate filter. All right, so now you have to look at, and just to get back to the different emission control strategies, is that on an engine, an engine produces, an, a diesel engine like a gasoline engine produces a whole host of emissions. It produces CO, which is carbon monoxide. It produces HC, which is hydrocarbons. It produces oxides of nitrogen, which is NOx. And it produces particulate matter. So there is, and the the host of emission or the suite in the engineering community we call it the suite the suite of emission controls all right are akin to having a pesticide with many different modes of action so each one of the emission control devices is like a mode of action so whereas the diesel oxidation catalyst the doc has predominantly is used to clean up the carbon monoxide and the hydrocarbons and has a very minute effect on particulate matter so that's its mode of action so think of it like you would have with herbicide groups it's a mode of action whereas the diesel particulate filter only concerns itself with particulates the selective catalytic reduction system its mode of action is to be concerned with oxides of nitrogen emissions it has nothing to do with particulates has nothing to do with carbon monoxide nor has nothing to do with hydrocarbons so you know i want to bring that um just mention that quickly today because when you look at these engines you need to think modes of action as you would a herbicide and the mode of action what we're going to be controlling with the diesel particulate filter is we are going to be controlling particulate matter which to lay person's term is soot all right so that's and the regeneration process is part of that but it's really not what you think it is if you did not listen to my tfr ida show so now what basically happens is that a diesel engine like any engine is burning a hydrocarbon based fuel and due to the nature of diesel fuel and due to the due to the nature of uh, of the combustion event but specifically the fuel it is going to produce soot and soot to a layperson is the black smoke that comes out of the exhaust so that is soot now keep in mind that when you see black smoke coming out of the exhaust that's an excessive amount of soot uh, which means excessive amount of pm particulate matter 
all right now even though you may see just heat coming out of the exhaust all right that does not mean that there is no particulate matter being produced so the thing is that it would be just like looking at a crop in the field you could have a nitrogen deficiency and you didn't yellow the leaves yet but it doesn't mean it's not there you could have a boron deficiency but you don't see the stripes on the corn plant leaves as you would until it gets to a certain point so the thing is that keep in mind that by nature of the fuel and the combustion event is that the diesel will always be producing soot and we'll call it particulate matter the layperson person doesn't realize that and they say man years ago i had an old diesel with none of this stuff i didn't blow any black smoke it didn't have any soot well yes it did it's just that the particles were so small that you did not see it all right now i want to back up for a second because i just want to clarify because i mentioned it and i went off on a slight tangent is that every diesel engine is going to have a host different modes of action to clean up the the different emissions all right, COHC, uh, PM, and NOx. Now, on a road vehicle, I don't care whether it's a light-duty pickup truck or a semi or anything in between, is that you're going to have the the you're going to have all of these different modes of action because the emission standards, specifically for particulate matter, is much tighter, stringent than it is for a lot of off-road equipment. And to the best of my knowledge. To the best of my knowledge, the only one that does not have a full host, which meaning EGR, DOC, diesel oxidation catalyst, diesel particulate filter, and selective catalytic reduction is Case IH. On on road vehicles, I, if there is some engine that does not have that full suite, I do not know of it. You could let me know. But Case IH is the only one that is not having the full host and basically using EGR and uh, SCR and doesn't have the diesel oxidation catalyst and the diesel particulate filter as of right now. As we roll out into Tier 5 uh, emissions from Tier 4, that may change, but as of right now, they don't have those two components. But what I'm going to discuss is going to be applicable to a combine and a pickup truck and anything in between that has the full host of emission controls. So we're going to burn this fuel and this fuel is going to be, create some soot, some particulate matter. Well, really in all honesty, the diesel particulate filter is nothing more, and it used to be called years ago when it came out, it used to be called a soot trap. So that's what it did. It would catch soot and hold it so it didn't go into the exhaust stream. So now keep in mind that an emission control device basically either wants to control the emissions, so it means limit the production of emissions and or trap those emissions and not let them go out into the atmosphere so it would be it would be akin to like having a seed treatment for um for rootworm and so as you would know, a seed treatment for rootworm it's not killing the rootworm at first the rootworm has to bite into the root and then it gets that trait in it and it would dies so in essence the diesel particulate filter does not do anything to clean up or eliminate or minimize is probably a better word particulate matter it's a trap 
it doesn't allow it to get into the atmosphere. It'd be just like if you're irrigating and you're sucking water out of a pond or a river, that you will basically have some sort of trap on the end so you don't suck all the dirt, debris, a fish, what have you, into the irrigation pump. So you'll have some sort of trap there to catch it and keep it out. Well, the diesel particulate filter is going to trap the particulate matter, the soot, and not let it go into the exhaust. But it doesn't do anything to get rid of it. It just traps it. Whereas the diesel oxidation catalyst and the sub and the selective catalytic reduction system, along with the diesel exhaust fluid, actually minimize and clean the exhaust. The particulate filter is just trapping it. And the root, so where does these particulates, this soot, come from? Well, it comes from the combustion process in the engine and the, the dominant, dominant polluter, the dominant creator of the soot is the fuel because it is, that's what the engine runs on and that's where it is converting hydrocarbons into, from chemical energy into mechanical energy. So on this quest to lower particulate matter from the tailpipe of any diesel engine the first step was to come out with an ultra low sulfur diesel fuel and that came in stages right so now we have the ultra ul uh, ultra low ulsd i always mess that up and uh and so if you look at it this way the and it was a very common sense approach because they basically said hey the sulf the diesel fuel the diesel fuel is what is creating the soot so and the sulfur in the diesel fuel is the predominant cause of the soot so if we remove that sulfur from that diesel fuel then we are inherently going to have less particulate batter in the engine so that is what that is all about and as an aside to this which i've said before but we have new listeners every week is that the sulfur was never a lubricant in the fuel the procedure to remove the sulfur from the diesel fuel is what destroyed its lubricity so ultra low sulfur diesel fuel has a has a a lower lubricity value than old-fashioned diesel but people think it was the sulfur no it was the removal of the sulfur the process it had a uh, it had a uh, what's i'm thinking of the term but it it, it was collateral damage. That wasn't the term I was thinking of, but I'll use it. So, so the lack of lubricity is the collateral damage of removing the sulfur. And then what was realized also is that the engine oils, the engine oil that was used, right, uh, was creating a lot of particulate matter. And because no matter how wonderful the engine is, how great it is, how well sealed, is you're always going to have some amount of oil and also blow by get through that combustion event. So the first two areas of attack are on the reduction in in particulate matter was this the removal of the sulfur from the diesel fuel and then the newer later oils uh, like the API CJ4 and then whatever later standards they have. So those that oil is meant to reduce the sulfur and in turn reduce the particulate matter from the combustion event in the engine. And the ultra-low sulfur diesel is the same thing. So now 
we've done all of that that's the external right so we took we took care of all of, all of that and we but we still have some particulate matter coming out of the exhaust pipe now the thing is that there are other things that were done inherently in the engine to reduce the particulate matter and that was the injection cycles the way the and that was one of the reasons why or the main reason why the industry went away from a pump line nozzle a, a fully mechanical system to an electronic or common rail system so they could control the combustion events more accurately than they did with a pump line nozzle system and so that they could well, if you could control that combustion event then what you will do and you have a highly what we would call managed combustion event that we will have more efficient combustion and we will produce less particulate matter so it's a multifaceted approach just like many like multiple modes of action on a pesticide and the thing basically is is that what will happen is that to make a connection not with pesticide but with fertility is that just like fertility could get tied up in the ground all right or tied up that you can't get that the one element bonds with another and the plant can't get it it's there but it's not available well the same thing could happen into the same thing but different right if that makes sense but it's the same theory of the emissions could get tied up inside the engine and we could have all of the right elements going in the ultra low sulfur diesel fuel the right oil a good combustion event and what have you and uh we don't and we're producing a high level of particulate matter and then that needs to be addressed so what happens is this is that this diesel particulate filter is going to be in the exhaust stream and it's going to look like a muffler it's going to look like a muffler and it's going to be further down the exhaust stream and what it will basically do it will have a monolith in it which looks like a honeycomb and it has some precious metals and it's going to in layperson's term and for this discussion needs to be no more complicated than that and what it's going to do it's going to catch and it's going to hold this particulate matter and it's the soot and at one particular point this soot trap this diesel particulate filter is going to be filled to the brim with soot right over time it's going to catch it it would be just like a moth trap or any type of trap you'd have all right an oil filter on an engine is a trap right at one particular point if you don't change it it's going to get it's going to get uh completely blocked so what will happen is that the diesel particulate filter at one particular point will need to do something with this trapped soot and what it basically does is a it's called a regeneration and people call it for short regen cycle and what it will do is will put it will superheat the diesel particulate filter and at around a thousand degrees f over a period of time and it usually takes about an hour it will convert that soot to ash and the picture that I have on the, uh, as you download this podcast, if you go to uh, to any of the places that, uh, that carry it, except I guess iTunes, you wouldn't see it there, Apple iTunes, but you may, I don't know, uh, is actually the ash that was the result of burning the, uh, 
the sort, the particulate matter. So now think of it this way, in very simplistic terms. The particulate matter is large, all right, and relatively speaking. It would be akin to having an old charcoal grill or having a fireplace in your house, right? So let's say you have a, uh, you have a, a, a fireplace in your house or you have a wood stove and you burn wood in it. Well, when you bring, put the piece of wood in it, the piece of wood is quite large and it takes up a lot of room right and then you put the you put the wood and you light the fire the the wood is the fuel it becomes burned and what is there there's ashes from the uh ashes from the fire if you don't take now the ash takes up less room less area in the fireplace or the wood stove right than the actual fuel does the wood and then it, at one particular point you need to clean that ash out and get rid of it well that is ash from the heating process and what we're basically going to do is that with the diesel particulate filter it's going to trap the particulate matter and then the regen cycle through heat is going to take those large pieces and make them very very small and convert them at a thousand degrees Fahrenheit into ash and then that ash is going to stay in that diesel particulate filter and then at one particular point that ash is going to need to be removed and that is something that there is a special procedure that diesel it's called diesel particulate filter cleaning and what it basically does it's um it that ash is vacuumed out and removed it's not something you could do on the farm and i don't want to uh, get into that here because we'll go off and it'll bring you no value so the thing is that the industry does say that on a pr on a properly running engine and you'll see why that's so important on a properly running engine that the dpf diesel particular filter will probably not in, in theory not need to be removed and have its service be cleaned which is done by a special machine you cannot do that in a form i'm repeating it for between uh, usually they figure five thousand hours on a uh off-road type of piece of equipment or 500,000 miles on a road vehicle so that is something that if everything is running properly that it's not going to be a daily event to be ridiculous or a yearly event unless you're putting 500,000 miles a year on something or 5,000 hours all right so that is a long-term deal but the information that I'm going to give you today as this show uh, unfolds will probably push that envelope much further than that all right so but keep in mind that it's that it's not something that's going to be that you need to change as akin to like an oil filter or an air filter so now how does this diesel particulate filter determine when it needs to convert the particulate matter to soot to ash well what happens is that depending upon in in a nutshell what it does it has a way through pressure sensors to determine to determine uh i touched the microphone if you felt some uh, noise there uh, to determine uh a flow restriction because once it starts to build up with soot there'll be a flow restriction so usually the better systems and i'll identify that in a minute the better systems have a pressure sensor in and out of the diesel particulate filter so it's what a delta a change in pressure so it reads the pressure drop across that that system and once the pressure drop gets too high 
then the differential gets too high it says that a regeneration cycle needs to be evoked and that regeneration cycle again i'm keep repeating this is the not the removal but the conversion the burning of the particulate matter to make it into ash which takes up substantially less room and improves and 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 regenerates or brings back the flow rate of that exhaust system so now that's what it's all about now some lesser systems and what i mean by lesser is that usually the earlier systems and i think they kind of found out that that uh, didn't work too well had an algorithm in the engine control system that the ecm and basically looked at gallons of fuel consumed and and the running hours and maybe something else how many cold starts it had a warm-up cycles as an uh, as an aside to that and it would command it would command a regen cycle based upon that and had no way to measure whether there was a flow restriction most manufacturers are getting away from that because what would happen is that you would have a consumer on any diesel engine and the scenario that he was using that engine under be it a road vehicle or a piece of farm equipment or a stationary engine was evoking a lot of regen cycles when there was really nothing to convert it'd be like you brushing your teeth every five minutes all right so the thing is that so they kind of almost everybody went that i'm aware of went to a delta delta p delta pressure sensor but a lot of the earlier engines and earlier tier four systems had just a algorithm for the amount of running time so so many hours of running so many gallons of fuel consumed and we're going through a regen whether it's whether it's dirty or not and then but the better systems now or the more accurate systems are looking at pressure so the thing basically is is that if you are looking at pressure so that was one of the dissatisfaction areas that people had with the early tier four engines and predominantly in pickup trucks because a lot of manufacturers did not put the cost the additional cost into having the pressure sensors and basically did the regen cycles based upon the usage and sometimes they they were correct and sometimes they were they were not correct and when these systems came out people complaining that it's going through a lot of regens using a lot of fuel and what have you and they are uh, kind of uh, went away from that most farm equipment that i know of uses pressure sensors but like i said i may be wrong you may have something out there that does not so so now it's important for us to understand the uh the regen cycles because there's three different types of regens all right so the regen as i was saying can be evoked by either a rise in pressure uh which is going to identify that it's soot loaded or an algorithm based upon running hours fuel used and time under load and to repeat the best system the most accurate is to monitor pressure so now based on the particulate load that is sensed the regeneration can be evoked in three different ways all right so there's three different type of regen cycles and the most benign one meaning that you don't even know what's happening is called a passive regen and that is your goal that is your goal to have a passive regen and the passive regen means that the engine is being operated with enough load to create an internal temperature in the diesel particulate filter to convert the the soot 
to ash and that is around a thousand degrees so if you're let's say you're pulling a, a, a chisel plow and I always like to use that in hot weather and this engine is working all day long and what could happen is that you could basically create a passive regen that it is going to be able to burn off that 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 particulate matter and turn it to ash uh, unbeknownst to you right but the engine needs to see that amount of or the dpf needs to see that amount of exhaust heat for about an hour to be able to completely convert that soot to ash now the next type of system which is a little bit more intrusive is called an active system and that means that the passive conditions are not met then what is going to happen is that the system has what they call a HC doser a hydrocarbon doser and what it does is it shoots diesel fuel into the diesel oxidation catalyst which is prior to the diesel particulate filter to use it as a furnace to create enough heat because the next thing right in line it could be six inches away is the diesel particulate filter so it shoots fuel into the deep into the doc confusing right all letters DOC, all right to, to be like a furnace to send the heat into the um into the diesel particulate filter to burn off the particulate matter and convert it to ash and this will take about one hour and if the engine gets shut off during that time, the cycle will be ended and it will need to start from the beginning again when those conditions are met. So now it's going to be under a load condition because it's going to want the, the, the natural heat from the exhaust to help the cycle. And that is called an active cycle. So you could be going down the road in your truck and some vehicles identify that a regen is happening. And that would be an active cycle where a passive cycle means that the load load on the engine is enough that it is creating enough heat naturally inherently to go in and convert that 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 soot to ash and whereas a active cycle means it's being evoked so in essence the passive cycle really uses no fuel whatsoever because it's the heat from combustion that is allowing the soot to be converted whereas the active cycle is now shooting fuel into the exhaust and this is where people get upset about it because they see the fuel economy going down because they're evoking an active cycle they're evoking diesel fuel from the from the fuel tank through that hc doser to go into that diesel oxidation catalyst it's a furnace a furnace like you have in your house and then that's going to send the heat into the into the um, dpf and convert it to ash and those conditions need to be met for about an hour and then if they're met for about an hour and based upon either an algorithm-based system where it times it and says, okay, we should be clean now, or a pressure differential system, which, as I said, is much better. It will basically shut this, shut that system off and say, okay, the pressure is good, but a good rule of thumb, it takes about an hour. All right. And... <clears throat> An active, an active regeneration uses a great deal of fuel, and sometimes... Uh, the engine can be down on power uh, during that cycle. The worst thing is a force cycle. This is a regeneration cycle that requires the equipment to be parked and is and is either 
prompted through the dashboard control or you have to use some sort of interface box some sort of scan tool to evoke it so lots of times you'll bring a, let's say a vehicle back and i'm going to say a road vehicle more commonly than a farm piece of farm equipment and the dealer will have to it has a check engine light on low power poor drivability what have you it's in what they call a limping strategy and the dealer will evoke a forced regen you're forcing it you're forcing the regen cycle and that will take probably more than an hour you have to open the hood the engine is going up and down in speed it's dumping a ton of fuel and that is really what is causing a lot of customer dissatisfaction with this system so the goal is for you to be able to satisfy the conversion of particulate matter slash soot to ash with a passive regeneration cycle which is invisible to the way the equipment is operated and invisible to you and does not use any fuel all right now break away for a second some of the earlier light duty diesels like in pickup trucks did not use an hc doser and uh what they would basically do they would use the in the injectors in the engine to shoot fuel in during the exhaust stroke so the piston would push it out and those are the engines that were not b20 compatible so the change that they made in diesel engines to make them b20 compatible was they installed an hc doser instead of the instead of the uh using the fuel injectors and why it was not b20 compatibles because biodiesel had a uh was slipperier had less surface tension in dynes dynes per centimeter and what it would basically do is go past the rings into the oil pan on that exhaust stroke and it would pollute the oil and then what once you had the hc doser in the systems like you see it says b20 compatible on the door of a ford pickup truck or some volkswagen diesels before they stopped making them the later ones are b20 compatible it simply used an hc doser instead of fueling it through the uh the injector of the engine so now if the goal is to have a passive in uh, passive regen cycle and not have to go through all of this right and uh excessive fuel use lack of power sometimes you have to park the piece of equipment or truck and you can't use it while it's going through this uh the engine is surging extreme heat under the hood what do you need to do well very simply the first thing that you need that i want to make clear to you is that depending upon the use of that particular piece of equipment so let's say if you're using a uh a uh a tractor with a loader to feed cattle or to move some had uh, to bring hay bales uh round bales out into the field or some things that it's really it's it's getting a lot of short duty cycles not a lot of load not long running times is that that system will probably never 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 see the running conditions with enough exhaust heat and running time under a fixed load to create a passive regeneration regeneration of the dpf and most likely will eat won't it will have to have eat, uh at best case scenario that it would have an active system and most times would need a forced system and those are the applications where that there is a lot of customer dissatisfaction with tier four because the guy bought this beautiful tractor or skid steer loader he's feeding cattle with it he's cleaning out a dairy barn what have you uh 
and it's not running it's running for a long period of time but not under the conditions that need it's got a lot of transient throttle operation uh it's not building enough exhaust heat and then what will happen is that he goes into that piece of equipment and one day and one day he starts it and it's got the check engine light or service engine soon light on it says forced regeneration you can't move the equipment it used you watch the fuel gauge drop like a rock and uh you said man i gotta go out there and i gotta feed the cows because it's gonna snow in an hour and this darn thing goes into a uh, a regen cycle so the fact of the matter is at this particular point in the industry and unless somebody knows something otherwise is that you are going to have a level of dissatisfaction with that with the dpf and the tfr because of the use of that vehicle or that engine i should say same thing happened you buy a pickup truck you buy a pickup truck and you go uh use a short cycle start it all right that's going to build a lot of a lot of particulate matter it's going to put it's going to fill the dpf very soon uh in short order and it's going to not have the conditions and it's going to need to be parked so what you can do if you if you have that type of use you can't change your operation you can't say to your wife well when you go to town a town is only five miles away when you go to town go 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 south and then go and then then go north and then go east and come around 30 miles so you can evoke a regen cycle that's the nature of the beast and that is why lots of times and in larger farm equipment you can't don't have this option but uh lots of times a gasoline engine specifically with like a uh, a utv on the farm uh or some smaller engines or a, a pickup truck is a much better choice than having to deal with the regen cycle nightmare alrighty and I'm, I'm calling it a nightmare so what you may want to do in those is find out if that particular application could have you evoke a forced regen when you want to do it now some systems today have it I know that Ford has it on some of their big commercial trucks you could bypass the regen cycle because you know if you have to get out there and you got to feed the cows right now you don't want this thing parked for a forced regen so there's a way for you to bypass that but you can only bypass it so many times before it's going to not allow you to bypass it so it gives you a grace period but then when you come back from using feeding the cows or cleaning the dairy barn you go and evoke that forced regen and then you'll be good for a while all right so now what can you do even in that type of application well well, keep in mind that this is all coming from the from the uh, from the combustion, the conversion of the fuel. So there's two things that are very simple to do, but people fight me like the devil on it. Number one is use the oil grade and a high quality name brand oil not only if it just meets that api standard for that particular engine if you have three different brands of equipment and they have three different three different oils use that oil because the oil coming past the valve guides and the rings and in the turbocharger leaks by is a large cause a large cause or i should say one of the main causes is probably a better sentence than a large cause of the generation of particulate matter so your goal is to not generate particulate matter and if you don't generate particulate matter you're not going to put it in a in a particular filter the dpf and you're going to be fine and the other thing very simplistically is 
to basically treat all of your diesel fuel farmers have a real aversion to this i've gone through this many times i sound like a broken record it's like somebody putting say put field tile in your land put field tile in your ground right and the guy fights him like hell he doesn't want to put it in he suffers all the consequences treat your fuel with a multi mode of action additive that is going to improve the combustion process because if you could improve the combustion process you are not going to make as much soot slash particulate matter and then you're not going to go through the regen cycle so your goal is that if you use the right oil and keep it clean and a high quality oil of that of that specification keep it clean follow the manufacturer's specifications but more importantly you go and you treat all the fuel on your bulk storage tank and your pickup truck take a bottle put it in on the road when you fill up that you will have a great 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 reduction in even the passive regeneration systems system or passive regeneration events not system is because you are not making the particulate matter so in a nutshell in a nutshell it's no more complicated than that don't make the particulate matter in essence in the farm don't let the weeds go to seed you won't put them in a seed bank and you won't have to keep them fighting them right don't make the make reduce the amount of particulate matter you make and then you will have a very invisible tier four engine experience and you'll love the engine because it runs great the fuel control is very very uh managed so they're very quiet they're smooth they're what have you but the regen cycle is really what the issue is and if you have a uh, use that is short duty cycle and not going to meet that still additize the fuel to make less and then find out look in your owner's manual talk to your dealer how whether you could bypass the cycle one or two times and then do the forced regen when it is convenient for you not convenient for the computer or the machine and that is basically it, it is as simple as that and there's no reason why you can't do it Alrighty, and that will make your tier four piece of equipment invisible to you, and you'll go from a uh, from a hate situation to a love. Alrighty, any questions? Please feel free to contact me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And now our special delivery segment with our letter from uh, the Philippines is brought to you by Firestone Ag. And your Firestone Ag was was founded by Harvey Firestone, and he was a fourth-generation farmer from Columbiana, Ohio. Harvey always dreamed of putting the farmer on air, putting him on pneumatic tires, and he is the inventor of the pneumatic tire for farm tractors. And that technology, Harvey's mindset, his passion for the farmer and to do things for him still lives on today in Firestone Ag, even though Harvey is long, long gone. And that is represented by their 23-degree tread bar, which came out many years ago, their AD2 technology on their IF and VF tires, and now the Firestone, the Firestone of far, of replacement farm tracks. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm, trusted only to Firestone. So now, this man is, I'm going to read a letter, I'm going to uh, cut it a little bit short because he put a lot of things in here that really aren't pertinent. So he has a uh, Mitsubishi Jeep with a 4D R6 T engine that suddenly lost RPM and won't go, uh, go. Oh, he goes over tick or tick over, excuse me, I guess that's the RPM, tick over when you try bleeding the injectors. Uh, 
his letter is kind of skewed. It's well written, but because of his the language barrier. Uh, this happened suddenly when I was going home yesterday and also gave out a lot of black smoke. I crept home uh, in low gear. I have... I have looked at the following, fuel cap, fuel filter, air cleaner, turbo turns okay, and I can't feel any rough spots. The engine is all original. Uh, it needs the oil change, but I have never experienced this. My next course of action is to remove the cylinder head and have a look. Uh, so while I'm at it, do the valve spring seals and while the head is off. Any suggestions before I continue? Uh, like I said, the letter is a little bit skewed, respectfully. But in essence, what happened is that he was riding with this this Mitsubishi uh, Jeep, uh, ex-Japanese military Jeep, and he uh, he he had a problem. He had a problem where it lost power and it started to blow black smoke, and he couldn't do anything about it. The fuel filter, the fuel flow seems to be fine. Uh, black smoke from a diesel, right? Soot, particulate matter, is partially burned fuel. White smoke, contrary to what people believe, is unburned fuel. I would have to say that he had a failure in his injection pump. Something happened in an injection pump, either in Richmond Circuit or or what have you. Or can't, I, I can't tell you. I don't know what injection pump is on there. But I really think that um, his name is Ian Pond. Uh, Mr. Pond, I really think that you're going, looking in the wrong area to remove that cylinder head. I would remove that injection pump, and at the same time, I would bring the injectors, the nozzles with you also, just to have them gone through. But I truly feel that the problem is in the injection pump, and uh, and not in the uh, in the engine whatsoever. For the lack of power, the black smoke, the low-hanging fruit to pick first is the injection pump. And I would pull that pump off. It's a 1980 engine. Uh, I would pull that pump off and have a good pump shop go through it. And also, while they're there, check the injectors. And uh, and I really think that that's, that's where the problem is. You, you, you're getting good fuel flow, so you don't know it's not the lift pump. You know it's not the filter. You changed all of that, the gas cap. And I think that you're... Uh, that you need to look at that injection pump. So I will send you an email, because uh, you may not be listening to this. I will send you an email. Hopefully, God willing, I caught you before you pulled that cylinder head off, because I do not believe at all that the problem is there. Listen, thank you so much for listening this week. I greatly appreciate it, and I hope you enjoyed the show, and, uh, and always know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. So uh, come back next week, and uh, we'll see what we have. Next week, we're going to be talking about head gaskets and uh, what you need to do to never make uh, association with them, never see them. Have a blessed day, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.